Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode eight of the Decred Assembly. Um, today on the show, we have Fluffy Pony, or Ricardo Spani. Close Spani. enough. <laughs> <laughs> and today on the show, we also have uh, a guest co-host, uh, Austin. Um, uh, he's in California. It's really, really early right now. So say hi to everybody, Austin. Hey, how's it going? Good morning. <laughs> um, yes, and uh, before we get started with the show, Fluffy, I just want to give everybody an update on uh, what's going on in Decred Land. Uh, give me one moment. And all right, there we go. Cool. So uh, first, I just want to talk about the first proof of work, uh, the first vote, the hard fork vote that we had uh, just completed. And uh, we have roughly nine days until the uh, hard fork activates on the network automatically. So if you have not upgraded to the latest version of the software, uh, I think it's at least has to be released 1.0. And I think we're up to like 1.05 now. Um, please upgrade. Otherwise, you will be booted off the network and then come July 9th, 10th, depending on when it lands, when that block hits. Um, so yeah, uh, other stuff to talk about. We have, uh, Charlie Lee actually coming on the episode, um, suit or doing an episode with us on July 10th. Uh, Austin will also be, uh, co-hosting with me and, uh, happy 4th of July, everybody. And, uh, yeah, so today we have, uh, Ricardo Spagni from, uh, or, or also known as Fluffy Pony from Monero. And uh, here's Austin's Twitter handle. You can um, find him at One Way Function and Ricardo at Fluffy Pony on Twitter. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, hey, Ricardo, how's it going? Uh, it's so nice. maybe you can do a brief introduction on, uh, you know, how you're involved in crypto. Sure. Um... So, hi, I'm Ricardo. You may know me as Fluffy Pony. Uh, so, yeah, I've been involved in the crypto space, uh, the cryptocurrency space since early 2011. Um, initially, obviously, with Bitcoin. And then I discovered uh, later on this cool thing called Tenebricks, which some people may have heard of. And then Tenebricks <laughs> begat Fairbricks. And then I was like, Fairbricks is so much better because it doesn't have, like, the scammy miner, and then Fairbricks didn't really work out, and Fairbricks begat Litecoin. So, you know, like, I, I sort of, my involvement predates that, which, um, which is, it's nice, because I've seen a lot, of, uh, a lot of stuff go up, a lot of stuff go down. I've seen a lot of uh, people make good decisions, and a lot of people make stupid decisions. I've made terrible decisions, and, and a couple <laughs> of good ones. So, and in, in, in all of it, I've learned a lot. Um, and I've learned about what makes uh, Bitcoin special and, you know, in the process sort of discovered uh, and met a bunch of interesting people. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, and, yeah, like, uh, I mean, apart from sort of um, uh, the companies that I have, I started a, my wife and I started an import-export company. And I also have a couple of fintech companies. Uh, most of my time, not most of my time, but, yeah, well, actually it is most. A good sort of 60% of my time is spent on Monero. I'm the lead maintainer, uh, and I'm also a pro-privacy advocate, so 
I go talk at conferences, not just about Monero, but about uh, the need for privacy and the right uh, to privacy in general. Awesome. So in, in your involvement um, prior to Bitcoin, did you do, do any sort of dev involvement uh, uh, you know, in the earlier days of, of Bitcoin or get involved in that regard? Or be primarily, um, I guess, you know, what, what's that involvement kind of been? So, yeah, like right at the beginning when I discovered Bitcoin, my, my earliest reaction was uh, this is nonsense and can never work, um, which, which is not an unfamiliar reaction. There are a lot of really strong technical people who's, you know, that was sort of like their first opinion. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time um, trying to figure out why it worked, at least why it worked in that in at the time a very small, um, clo relatively close circle. Uh, obviously, like like I did the other thing that everyone always does, which is mining. Um, it was like oh, it was like oh, mining. You know, this is a way to make free money. Let's play around with that. Turns out it isn't a way to make free money. Um, it's mostly a way to like throw money at equipment that you're never going to use. Um, but <laughs> I learned a lot along the way about um, about the, the dynamics of uh, of mining um, and uh, and sort of discovered a lot um, and learned a lot about um, uh, about how miners interact with the network from a um, I guess from a, a sort of game theoretic or incentive perspective. Um, and what's interesting is a lot of the stuff that I learned then and um, a, a lot of the stuff that I theorized might happen like with cabals of miners and, um, you know, and how mining pools um, change things and so on. Uh, we're seeing a lot of that now come out with um, the, the whole sort of Bitcoin scaling debate and with uh, the way miners are, um, are attempting to figure out what the market actually wants and then play into that. So there's, it, it's been an interesting voyage of discovery. But yeah, initially, it was sort of like, let's hack away at the code base a little bit and, and let's do the mining thing. Um, I must, like, like early 2011, I was paranoid that um, because, because Bitcoin was clearly a, um, in a sense, a subversive technology. I mean, like not, not that subversive, but it was subversive enough that, that I was paranoid that there was going to be like a knock on my door and like cops are going to be kicking down the door going like, oh my God, you worked on Bitcoin and we're arresting you. Um, and it, it took me a while. To, I, think, I think it took me like probably two years before I calmed down, uh, maybe a year and a half before I sort of realized that actually no, no one was going to come kick down my door. Um, but yeah, that, the, the, first, the first while was sort of intense paranoia and using Tor um, you know, which, which at the time was <laughs> was not quite as mature as as it is now, uh, and just sort of like constantly panicking and like, you know, encrypt everything because someone's going to come kick my kick my door down tomorrow just for like looking at the source code using Bitcoin. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so now, Jan and our devs with uh, Decreditor. Man, they're the most paranoid people I've ever met. But, <laughs> um, and now you're kind of heavily involved in Monero. Um, and obviously, it seems like you're a Bitcoin advocate. Uh, I'm also a Bitcoin advocate. Um, I think most everybody in the space, even as much as some people are involved in altcoins, should all be advocates for Bitcoin because it's, just, it's what gives value to almost everything in our industry right now. 
So, uh, but, but you got involved in Monero. Um, so I guess, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about what is Monero and then, um, you know, how the story of your involvement behind the project kind of came about and the history of it. Sure. So uh, Monero is um, a pro-privacy cryptocurrency. Um, it, it endeavors to provide privacy by default for all its users. And that takes various forms. Uh, we aim to hide the amount that's transacted, where the transaction is coming from, and where the transaction is going to. And uh, those three already work. And then a fourth thing that we're working on is hiding the originating IP address of transactions. Um, obviously, you know, sort of part of, of being a, a, a pro-privacy project is um, deciding how private it needs to be. Because with privacy, especially in cryptocurrencies, you almost have a spectrum. You've got, um, obviously, Bitcoin, which, which we would consider on the weaker end of the spectrum because it has very weak privacy claims. Um, in fact, it doesn't try very hard to be private. Uh, and then, you know, you can go all the way up the spectrum to very strong privacy, uh, which can be achieved through something like ZK stocks, where you don't even have a trusted setup. Uh, the problem with all of these things and, and with sort of gauging where you want to be on the spectrum is that the higher up the spectrum you go, the less likely people are to use it because it's um, processor intensive or, you know, transactions take a few minutes to compute. Uh, and obviously, you know, the, the further down you go, the stronger the scalability because transactions are cheaper to compute and so on. And so with Monero, what we decided was to sort of peg ourselves near the top but not high up enough um, on that scale so that it would be impossible for people to use or that it would completely be impossible to scale. So there's some inherent scalability. Transactions are pretty fast, and all transactions are private. You can't sort of opt out of that and create a, a non-private transaction, even though you used to be able to do that in the early days. Now, having said that, I'm not the person that launched Monero. I'm not the person that created Monero. Um, it was originally launched by a guy called Thankful for Today on Bitcoin Talk. It was a pretty fair launch. He pre-announced it. Um, you know, he made sure there were binaries available for various operating systems. All of that was good. Um, there was some dodginess because he had a uh, there was a crippled um, mining there was crippled mining code in there. Um, but I don't think he really I think he underestimated the influx of people who would be interested in mining. So despite the crippled miner, he only had maybe 5% of the mining power because there were so many people that were crazy about this new thing. It wasn't based on Bitcoin's code. It, it presented this brand new um, interesting technology to hack away at. And so I mined it pretty much from day, you know, day zero, from launch. Um, and I thought it was really interesting and cool. But as a, a sort of Bitcoin maximalist, I was like, well, I'm going to mine this and when the minute it hits Mintpel or, <laughs> or Cripsy, you know, because like, these are just the major exchanges at the time, the minute it hits those two, I'm going to dump. Um, and that was my plan. Uh, needless to say, it did eventually hit an exchange. It hit Poloniex and I dumped a bunch. Um, and I still have like, I still have a small portion from my original mining stash. But I, at the beginning, I had no real sort of uh, faith in the project's longevity. It was just this interesting thing. And something that happened very early on within a few weeks is Thankful for Today became impossible to work with. 
You know, we were already this burgeoning community. We wanted to do this and write that and do the other. And thankful for today, suddenly came up with this like, crazy idea of making Monero merge mined with Bitcoin. And the community as a whole went like, no, not going to happen. So he put it to a mining vote. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a, even with that, it was like super dodgy the way he did it. But eventually, the mining vote ended up being uh, like, no, we don't want to be merge mined with Bitcoin. And thankful for today, turned around and said, well, I don't really care. We're going to do that anyway. And that was the point at which we realized, as a community, this is not the sort of person we're going to be able to work with. So myself and six yeah. others um, forked the code away from him, and the community followed us. And so suddenly, like, you know, seven of us had an altcoin, even though that wasn't our intention. And, and we were <laughs> largely Bitcoin maximalists, so we were like, oh, crap, what do we do now? We now we have an altcoin. Uh, and we don't really know what we're doing. So that doesn't really help either. And we're not familiar with the code and there are no comments in it. And we're not familiar with the cryptography. So <laughs> and there's no GUI and there's not even like a there's not even mining pool software. So we really have no idea what we're doing. And, and this is like square zero. This is really like, you know, start from the beginning. Like how do you, how do you write a mining pool for a new cryptocurrency? How do you even go about creating a GUI? These like, you know, it's just crazy the amount of stuff that we had to get through. Oh, and then my favorite, the blockchain was all kept in RAM. There was no like database for the blockchain. So oh, wow. Yeah. So <laughs> we got to we got to a point where the blockchain was about eight gigs in memory, just on eight gigs in memory. And we had to drop thirty-two bit support because no thirty no Windows thirty two bit machines had more than eight gigs of RAM. So that's that was the end of that. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> that was that was my journey. <laughs> so so it was like, uh, and I think wow. I've heard you say this before. It's like showing up with a baby on your doorstep, and you're kind of just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and you sort of like you sort of go, okay. Oh, and, and my favorite part is we didn't know each other. There were seven of us that we'd like. I mean, I sort of like peripherally knew some of the names from from Bitcoin Talk and RSC and whatever, but we didn't. We weren't friends. So we didn't even know if we could trust each other. Now we're suddenly having to share <laughs> passwords and stuff. And yeah, it's like having this baby dumped on your doorstep. And it's like, so you and six strangers have to raise it. <laughs> and you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> well, um, well, I'm sure a lot of people in the Monero community are really glad that you got involved in that. And um, I mean, it seems to be going really well. Um, Monero, in my opinion, is probably one of the most legitimate projects out there. Um, you know, it, I mean, you guys have no sort of dev tax or anything, and um, seems like a very fair launch. Um, and so many things going right for it, and and it continues to have this path forward. And I think I've seen some of your other talks where you know the amount of contributors and your GitHub repo keep growing and. Transaction volume is growing, and a lot of other things, which which are really good for you know everything on the Monero front. You know, I guess to talk about the next thing, one of the one of the next things that I was really interested in is, so I guess you guys, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys hard fork about every six months. Yeah, and and what's kind of the the governance mechanism that I guess leads to that um, hard fork? Sure. So, 
I guess our, our government mecha- mechanism is that we basically have no governance. Um, <laughs> 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 Very strong governance mechanism. Uh, no, we um, we basically we we rely on a loose consensus. So everything's open. Nothing's done behind closed doors. We never present decisions that have been already been made to the community. We always take a long time to make decisions and we talk about it. You know, we, we might already in our head have decided that this is a good idea, but we still talk about it with the community as a, as a group of developers with, um, you know, people that are non-technical and with people that are technical with researchers in the Monero research lab. We just like, we discuss these things over and over and over again so that by the time it actually ends up becoming a thing, the community as a whole has agreed to that. Um, there are always going to be fringe elements, gotcha. people who don't really follow these discussions, who don't uh, read, you know, the notes from the dev meetings, who don't follow Reddit, whatever. But ultimately, like, by, by sort of discussing this stuff in as many uh, places as possible, we, we end up with a reasonable idea of, you know, is there consensus or not. In terms of the actual, I mean, like, like typically with hard forks, we don't put anything in there that we think um, would even remotely be, um, be, you know, that people would treat with, with sort of skepticism or that would be contentious in any way. We, we only put stuff in that, by and large, the community has agreed to and that the dev group definitely has agreed to. Um, and we have quite a big group of, of contributors, so getting the dev group to agree to anything can sometimes take several meetings. Um, but at any rate, <laughs> once we've decided that something's going to go into a hard fork, one of the other things that we do is we try and reach out to as many of the economically sensitive nodes as possible, so exchanges, um, services, that sort of thing, uh, have a discussion with them as well, um, and take that back to the community if they, if they present any any issues. So, you know, oh, okay, well, this is going to add this load to their system, um, and they can't really afford that. Let's take it back to the community and say, like, well, we've spoken to whoever, Poloniex and Bitfinex and Kraken and Shapeshift, and they all agree that this is a bad idea. Um, you know, like, like having those discussions are important too. Um, and then figuring out how best to proceed. And, and what we've found is, um, is once we had that sort of general buy-in and everyone's happy, <clears throat> then we're able to basically just set a flag day. And we go, okay, cool. On this flag day, we're switching over to the next block version. Um, and then uh, somebody will go and uh, normally a guy called the Brain will go and create a thread on Reddit. And uh, he'll list all of the economically sensitive nodes and the pools in a table. And then you'll be able to see, okay, cool. Uh, these pools have upgraded. These ones haven't. And leading up to, to the actual uh, flag day, you can go, oh, I, I'm mining on that pool, but they haven't upgraded, so I'm going to switch to another one. You know, and you, yeah. you sort of know up front, cool, this is what's happening. And, uh, and we haven't really had issues. Invariably, sometimes there's like one pool that gets left behind, and then like a day later, they're like, oh, oh all our blocks are getting orphaned. <laughs> oh, dear. Maybe we should have followed the, the email we got and upgraded. But yeah, generally speaking, it's um, m- most of them have been pretty smooth, um, and yeah, we haven't had sort of major issues because we haven't been putting anything contentious in. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's hard for any chain to uh, to realize the um, the issues that might arise until you have something contentious that 
seeing in the Bitcoin scaling debate. So, so yeah. what's involved in the next hard fork that's coming up in September? Um, well, 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 we'll see. We haven't quite finalized things. We're hoping, I mean, we basically have to, by the middle of August, um, have a, a, a code freeze, uh, barring sort of last minute fixes and that sort of thing. Um, and so we're now sitting end of June. So we've got, we've got like a, we've got about a 45 day window. Um, and we have one of the things that we're hoping to get in before the hard fork is multi-sig. Um, the, the implementation for that is we're sitting in a PR at the moment and a pull request and it just needs a bunch of review. So hopefully barring any issues that arise from the review reviews of the cryptography and reviews of the code, we should have multi-sig um, in the September hard fork. Uh, beyond that, I can't think of any, oh, uh, this um, like a sub-address scheme that we've got as well, um, where you'll be able to create like throwaway addresses uh, or single use addresses. And that's something that uh, is already implemented. Um, pull request has been merged. Um, it, it does need a sort of um, final pass on the, on the crypto, but uh, that cryptography is, has been discussed like, you know, add an item. So I'm, we're pretty confident in it and in the, in the actual implementation. It's also not, the, not a very complicated scheme. So, so yeah, those are the two big things that we're, that uh, we're have, or we're expecting in the September hard fork, but it's an open source project. So who knows, maybe in the next 45 days, someone comes and adds something amazing, like, I don't know, uh, rich statefulness. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Um, well, I think uh, Austin has a couple questions now. Yeah. Uh, so I'm interested. I, I was it earlier this year, earlier this month. There was this like uh, this like image vulnerability. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could uh, talk about that. Like, what was it? Um, uh, and what other coins were affected by it? I, if I remember correctly, it was uh, most crypto note based uh, uh, currencies were uh, susceptible. If you could talk about the pre-image bug that happened and, and give the listeners maybe an idea of what that was. Sure. So um, one of the things that we have uh, in Monero is this thing called a key image. And um, basically uh, what happens is when you create a ring signature in Monero um, for transactions input, um, that ring signature... Uh, appears to sign several older transactions or, you know, a bunch of old transactions. And there's this thing called a key image. And the key image basically um, is, re it represents the real signature, but you can't like reverse it to figure out what the real signature is. So that, that's a, a way to prevent double spends because obviously if you didn't have this key image thing, you could just go and spend from the same transaction over and over and the network wouldn't be able to validate whether or not you're genuinely spending from it um, or not. And, uh, and so this, this obviously is a, is a fantastic protection, a great mechanism. It's based on a, um, a research paper uh, that, uh, that, that where a researcher discovered or invented a scheme to do something called traceable ring signatures. So even though an external observer looks at the ring signature and can't figure out who is the true signer, this traceable component um, allows validation that the uh, the same signer hasn't or the same um, signer hasn't signed again. 
So that's obviously critical to, to Monero's use. Now, the problem with, uh, with or the key image exploit uh, basically exploited um, the fact that we use uh, Curve 25519 um, and, and specifically uh, the ED25519 um, uh, signature scheme. And uh, it basically like exploited, exploited a, um, uh, a, a sort of subgroup, a small subgroup um, in that mm -hmm. signature. And effectively what that meant was you could create a valid key image um, multiple times for the same, uh, the same valid signature. So you're signing from a particular transaction and because the small order um, subgroup is different, you've got a different key image to an external observer, even though it's spending from the same transaction. So the net effect of that would be that you could quadruple spend an output. Um, wow. Yeah, which is effectively coins out of thin air. So, so, we did, so, so in the discovery, we were like, oh dear, how do we fix this? Because, well, I mean, fixing it is easy, but our first sort of panic was, um, how do we make sure that this hasn't been exploited? But that was easy. You just add the subgroup check-in, and then you just sync from scratch. That's literally the easiest way to check. Mm -hmm. um, and it checks every single transaction. None of them break that. So we're like, cool, we haven't been exploited. Next problem is we have to sneak the patch in because if we go public with it, it'll be exploited. So we have to sneak yeah. the patch in. We have to get economically sensitive nodes and mining pools to upgrade. And we need to do all of this without alerting anyone that can attack other crypto node coins because this isn't like a Monero specific thing like a problem with Ring CT, this is a problem in CryptoNote, the CryptoNote protocol in general. So the first thing we did is we, we created a, a point release and we let uh, mining pools and economically sensitive no, uh, uh, nodes know that they really should upgrade on the basis that there was improved Ring CT validation code, which there was. The Ring CD validation was much faster. And so we said there's a, a small risk of a denial of service attack. And which is true, you know, you could, you could, I mean, it'd be very difficult because of the, the asymmetry, but, you know, you could ostensibly have a denial of service attack um, uh, with the older, the, the slower validation code. And so then we got mining pools to upgrade, we got economically sensitive nodes to upgrade. Then we were fairly confident that enough of the network had upgraded, but we weren't 100% sure and there was still, you know, you could still have like node isolation attacks and that. So we basically sat on it until the, the, a hard fork that we, we were going to sit until September, but then we had to have a, a sort of emergency hard fork in April um, because of an issue with our dynamic, um, our dynamic block size algorithm. And we had a transaction backlog that wasn't clearing because of this issue. So we had this emergency hard fork and now we were certain that the entire network had upgraded. And that was the point at which we could then go to, um, to other crypto node coins and say, um, so here's the issue, please go and fix it. Um, we, we gave them four weeks to fix. We went to crypto nodes um, and Bitcoin first. So we gave them just a little bit of lead time um, uh, because obviously crypto nodes as the, the creators of the protocol and as the guys running Bitcoin, we sort of figured they probably would need to know about it first. Um, gave them a little bit of lead time and then contacted the rest of the crypto note uh, currencies um, after the hard fork and let them know. 
Um, and then at the end of four weeks, we published it. Um, and we had a pre-commitment um, in the blockchain, so everyone could sort of see when we discovered it and so on. And, uh, and, and we thought that was kind of the best way to disclose it. Um, you know, unironically, I guess, uh, there are a bunch of cryptocurrencies that by that point still hadn't fixed it, despite having detailed instructions mm -hmm. and being able to look at how some of the other ones had fixed it and just grabbing that and like, you know, I mean, it's like a three line change. This is not complicated stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that some of them hadn't upgraded is pretty shocking. Yeah, are they all upgraded now? As far as you're aware, uh, I think some of the, uh, the the bulk of them are. Um, there's still a few that are largely unmaintained that that haven't upgraded, but they all, like some some of them don't even have like you can't even sync up from scratch. Their seed nodes aren't working, so I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, well, if they're listed on exchanges, I would like to know which ones they are. Uh, so that brings me to. <laughs> we can make sure that they're not listed on exchanges anymore because they won't be worth anything. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it brings me to a, a, a little short discussion I want to have uh, about something I've been interested in. Uh, I've noticed that with um, uh, pretty much all privacy-preserving cryptocurrencies, at least ones that are implemented so far, um, there seems to be this, this trade-off with uh, privacy and the um, ease or even sometimes ability to audit the monetary base. Um, in particular, um, when you hide amounts, I mean, there are other conditions under which you have this problem, but, but certainly when you hide amounts, you can no longer do like a direct audit of the monetary base, right? You can't just like sum the UTXO set. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, so instead, we, we sort of do this indirect audit, right? Where, where, where with every transaction that you output, you, it comes along with this proof or sometimes multiple proofs that uh, no new coins have been created. It's a... Uh, it's like a proof of a negative, right? And so yeah. as, as long as we verify, okay, we verified that no new coins have been created, so then we sort of just, uh, 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 we assume that, okay, if this is true, then the monetary base is sound. Um, that means that our, our, our faith in the, mon like the, uh, uh, the soundness of the monetary base is only as strong as our faith in the verifiers of those proofs. And so if there's a bug in the verifier, which there has been a couple times in, in a handful of these currencies, um, uh, then sometimes that bug can be exploited and people can then mint coins and then no one knows until the bug's found. It's not all the toxic waste in Zcash being ex used would be a counterexample. But, but in most cases, um, once you find the bug, you can then check to see whether it's been exploited, like it, this happened most recently, right? And then you can, of course, just go through all the uh, transactions since the beginning of your, your Genesis block till now and see if it's been exploited. Uh, and if it has, then you have to decide whether or not you want to roll back your blockchain or not, right? If you want to pull in Ethereum, basically, or if you or if you uh, want to eat it. <laughs> and yeah. I was wondering if you you could uh, speak to well, for example, with this latest bug or any any other previous um, bugs that affected CryptoNote that you patched, and even with your doing due diligence and telling other, which is nice of you, telling other coins uh, about the vulnerability. Um, uh, very responsible disclosure, by the way. There are people who would who would not have done that as well. Um, are, are you aware of any? <laughs> are you aware of any uh, uh, coins that were, uh, were where coins were minted? Did they decide to roll back the blockchain, or did they decide to just sort of eat that loss publicly, like as a community? Um, yeah, two two cryptocurrencies uh, uh, were exploited: Bitcoin and. Uh, XDN, 
digital digital notes or whatever. I don't know what they're called. Um, uh, but yeah, like like with both of them, they only have the check after a certain block height. So that's kind of a dead giveaway that something's dodgy. Um, and uh, you, you just remove the block height check, and you can see exactly where um, where it suddenly fails. Um, and uh, we publish details about the the Bitcoin one. Um, the XDN one, you know, I mean, like syncing up from scratch is super difficult because their seed nodes don't work, um, but still, like, they've, they've been exploited. I, you know, with both of those, they, the community is too small, I think, um, for them to not have rolled back. At least that's, sure. that's sort of, you know, in my opinion, um, or at least to have blacklisted the outputs that have been created um, from ever being yeah. used again. Yeah. Oh, I see. you could. Okay, yeah. I was wondering if that was even possible with crypto. Yeah, yeah. You can you can blacklist them. They can't be used in a ring in a ring whether they're being spent legitimately or not. Right. It's a slippery slope. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If cool. if awesome. ever an output was, I mean, like that to me would be sorry would would probably be the the most suitable approach to a situation like that. Um, you know, it depends again. Like if you discover it six months later and. Those outputs have been used in hundreds of transactions. Well, what are you going to do? But if right. they have it, blacklist them immediately, and then at least, like, you know, at, at least you can sort of move on. And the only the only loss are the um, the in, the uh, uh, coins that they spent creating the fake ones, and that's their loss to eat, not yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. Anyway, um, look, I mean, that you, you're 100 percent right, though. I mean, it's the like that that sort of scale, that, that scale of privacy that I spoke about earlier, it does seem mm-hmm. that the higher up the scale you get, the harder it becomes to to audit the monetary base. Um, yeah. With with Ring CT, we're kind of fortunate that um, that the the ability to to audit things like um, like uh, commitment arithmetic, you know, that that stuff's yeah. reasonably solid. It's it's not yeah. a new scheme. It's not something that like was suddenly created, so so we've we've at least got a reasonable amount of confidence not only in the cryptography but also in the implementation because it's simple. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I think the more complex you get and the the closer you get to zk snarks and zk stocks, the the more difficult it is because you start getting into um, in, into maths and into cryptography that um, is not as old. And and obviously you have you still have the implementation risk even over and above that, um, and then with zk right. snarks you've got that uh, that trusted setup issue, um, where yep. your monetary base relies on on a bunch of people not colluding. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and the and the, and the implementation of the of the uh, zk snarks verifier is much more complex than just checking these range groups. And, or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think as well. Like, um, I don't know if you know about the. Was it uh, Zcoin, whatever they're called? They they also had a they had an implementation issue um, that was exploited, and uh, and coins were created out of thin air. Um, oh really? Yeah, they they use the zero coin protocol instead of the zero cash protocol. Yeah. And uh, if memory serves, um, I think they just ate it, and I think that the that those those you know monetary base expands and off you go instead of reversing it. Uh, which is, I guess, a fair decision mm-hmm. to make um, as well, given the the complexity. And yeah, yeah that's what not, you can do. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. You could fall in. I mean, this decision, and no matter which one you choose, it's gonna suck. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Really. Uh, uh, well, you, you almost feel like rewarders. Oh, sorry. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I, I, I mean, you know, if they're adding value by uh, coming up with these exploits, obviously they're not publishing them, but um, they are showing that hey, this can happen. I don't know. In, in a sense, I, I kind of feel like maybe it should be rewarded, but yeah, but they're, <laughs> they're really writing their own reward. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, well, you know, so this is this is one of the things where it becomes really complex. Um, you know, like and 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 not uh, like like when something gets hacked, when an exchange gets hacked, invariably, like because it's happened so often, um, or, or when someone claims that their coins got stolen or whatever, invariably I sit there and and I sort of go, to, I say to myself, like very quietly, I wonder if that really happened. Or oh, yeah. I wonder if it's just like, you know, oh, my coins were stolen. Oh, <laughs> And they just sort of send it to themselves. Um, and, and you, you know, like that becomes a lot easier with a currency like Monero where you can just, you know, claim your stuff got stolen all the time and just send it to yourself. Um, yeah. and, and I look at that and I think to myself, now imagine you discovered an exploit in your own currency. I mean, you know, exploit it to create a bunch of coins and then go, oh dear, we discovered an exploit. This is so terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, sorry, as, I was as far as scalability. Oh yeah, go for it. Oh no, no, you're, yeah, no, I was segueing into you. Good. Oh, okay, good, good. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to talk about scalability, and if you could talk about, um, for example, like uh, I guess you could start with like how big are Monero transactions versus like Bitcoin transactions. Um, are are you facing any scalability problems? If not, do you see any on the horizon? And do you have any plans for addressing scalability uh, if it becomes an issue? Yeah, I mean, uh, Monero transactions are, are physically significantly larger than Bitcoins. Um, with Ring CT, it's even worse. I mean, we're talking about orders of magnitude larger. Um, obviously, the solution is just to increase the block size. Mm. You know, that's that solves everything I've heard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, like <laughs> realistically, there, there's some things that we're doing. We um, we we are decreasing the size of the range proofs. We have a, a scheme to to do that, and that will have a, a pretty big impact. At the same time, you know, you decrease the size of the range proofs, but you also want to increase the um, the network enforced minimum um, number of transactions that you that you use in a ring signature. So at the moment, the minimum is quite low, um, it's three or four. Um, and obviously, we want it to be significantly higher because yeah. the higher that baseline, the, the, the more private transactions are. And pretty much, I mean, like, let's be honest, 80% of the network or 90% of the network use the default. So oh, yeah. like raising, raising that minimum um, is, is obviously quite critical. But doing so with the current range proof size would just be ludicrous. So... Uh, that's you know decrease range proofs and then increase um, the the minimum uh, sort of privacy level, um, and and that's sort of step one um, in terms of of I mean it, you know it, it won't be a sort of linear switch but it will be um, a decrease in size so that's definitely a step towards um, towards improving scalability. We have this dynamic block size algorithm which is really handy 
because we can obviously um, scale on-chain, but it's also really dangerous because we don't want to have a scenario where we, you know, I don't know, Monero suddenly has a bunch of use and next minute we have 200 megabyte blocks. That's not ideal. So in order to circumvent that, one of the things that we're trying to do is um, with after multisig and, and along with multisig really is make sure that we're able and ready to support things like um, Tumblebit and Lightning. And uh, by doing so, we're hoping to be able to offload transactions mm-hmm. to layer two um, sooner rather than later. Uh, the sooner we can support that, the better it is because um, it means that there'll be less transactions on main chain. Um, so, so that's sort of, you know, where, where something like Bitcoin, um, one could argue that Lightning is, is semi-optional or at least it can be added later or whatever. With Monero, Lightning's pretty critical. You know, we, we don't survive without it um, and, and similar technologies. The other thing that we've been looking at for a while, um, and, and this is, you know, I, I would imagine post-lightning and post when we've, we've done the, the low, or we've grabbed the low-hanging fruit, is uh, stuff like Mimblewimble um, and scriptless scripts and, and some of the stuff that's being worked on in that space. What, uh, what we'd like to really do is, uh, is perhaps have a sidechain um, or, or some sort of chain that's, uh, that, that runs in parallel. And the idea is that when you, if you're running a full node and you make a payment to uh, one of these sidechain addresses, then the swap that happens on or the, the, the sort of movement from main chain to sidechain happens invisibly. You don't care about it and the recipient receives the funds. And then similarly, if uh, somebody pays you from that side chain, then, um, then sort of the movement back onto main chain is invisible. Um, and then if you're paying side chain to side chain or main chain to main chain, obviously that works as normal. And the, the sort of idea would be that, um, you know, you take something like Mimblewimble, then you can have people running um, full nodes on their phone, but still being able to pay um, normal Monero addresses because it gets pegged back into main chain. Um, how how we would guarantee the um, the, the the sort of main chain uh, security on those lightweight nodes is something that's currently up for discussion, but that would sort of be the general idea. That's interesting. Yeah, I'd, I want to follow that. See what, what progress you make. That's a really interesting idea. Yeah, so that that yeah. hopefully provides an entire lightweight sort of subset of the network that's still able to talk to. It still effectively is main chain, you know. It, it, it's just a separate sort of side chain, um, and and I think that that's really the only way because there's weaker privacy claims, obviously, with Mimblewimble, but fantastic scalability. Um, and yeah. so then it's like, well, you can still transact transact using Monero, just pick and choose whether you want to run the lightweight chain or the big chain. Yeah, is it, is it and- possible to? Uh, can you do like tree pruning and stuff like that? Can uh, or is that even possible in Monero? I imagine it would be harder. Yeah, it would be significantly harder. Um, there's, you know, scaling main chain is is ugly. There's no sort of quick win. There's a lot of stuff that we can throw away on a prune node. I mean, a prune node can throw away um, whatever signatures and um, and range proofs and so on. Um, uh, you know, so I mean, a pruned node can pruned node can run pretty lightweight. 
The other thing a prune node can do, because it does need to keep the TXO set for mixing, I mean, for creating ring signatures, but it can just keep a subset of the TXO set. It can just say, like, let me go and, and select 10% of the transactions Random. uh, randomly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah. and then I've got a bunch of transactions to mix with. Um, so, so that's also, you know, there are ways to run a lighter node. At this point in time, the, the space requirements of Monero don't really uh, mean that we, uh, that we have to have that. But yeah, definitely at some point in the near future, it might make sense for us to do like, you know, a pruning level that, that is quite um, heavy handed and you're just keeping a subset of the TXOs um, that you need for creating your transactions. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I'm, I'm def definitely going to be following that. The whole scalability thing is really interesting, and scale scaling private currencies is even harder. Oh yeah, yeah. So it, it'll be it's going to be an interesting few next years. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Matt, you have a question here about uh, and announcement consensus. So are are you guys planning on uh, or, or will you be able to support Lightning Network? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Multisig is kind of the big uh, uh, the, the big step. <laughs> in yeah. Um, once we have Multisig and we've we've done whatever other fiddly bits we need, um, then uh, we're hoping to bolt onto Lightning, sort of as is, which means that we will get cross-chain atomic swaps uh, between Monero and Litecoin, which will be pretty cool. That'll be awesome. And we need some cross-chain atomic swaps between uh, Decred and Monero in the future, too. Yeah, once, once we're all on Lightning, it's going to make that a whole lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a big advocate for, for Lightning Network, and I think there's a lot of cool things that... Uh, People haven't even conceived yet that can be done. Um, so, do you, do you have any more questions, Austin? Um, that's all I have for now. If you want to uh, grab the next few, uh, I have sure. some kick the hornet questions about <laughs> uh, what Ricardo thinks about other cryptocurrencies. We can save those till later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to those. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I've noticed that you've kind of been a, a big advocate for speaking against the ICO hype going on, <laughs> um, which I, I feel like we need more people like that in the space. Um, <laughs> I mean, just, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I was wondering, you know, maybe you could talk about your feelings about what's going on in the space right now with all these ICOs and tokens and whatnot. Uh, most of these aren't even chains themselves. It may or may not be a good thing, but uh, kind of your opinions on on that sort of thing. Sure. Um, my opinions are <laughs> my opinions are reasonably well known. Um, my, when someone doesn't when someone does an ICO, my default um, is it's a scam um, until proven otherwise. Um, and I don't mean it's literally a scam. I don't mean that they're literally like bad people trying to scam people. It's just I'm not against the tokenization of securities. You know, if you want to, if you want to issue a token instead of a share certificate, no problem. What I am against is uh, is using it as a way to sidestep, um, basically, like the the I guess the protocols that have been put in place 
um, for the protection of investors. And this is not to say that I'm saying like, oh, I love the, the SEC or I love the legal system around this. Um, as somebody who's raised VC money multiple times, uh, it's frustrating. It's challenging. It takes a long time. Um, it, not, there are no shortcuts. You have to justify everything. And then when you actually get given the VC money, they don't give you the VC money and off you go. They give you the VC money and then you're like reporting back all the time. Like, oh, we spent 10 cents on that for the following reason. You know, you're justifying things the whole time. You don't just get to make random decisions, um, even if you are a self-titled, self-fashioned CEO. And, and that, that, at least despite um, the, the hype that goes on in Silicon Valley and the amount of VC funds that get thrown at stupid ideas in Silicon Valley, at least the, the protocols and the way things are designed and, and the way VCs give money and all that, at least it just, just sort of forces people to become better business leaders. Because right now what we've got is we've got a system where a bunch of 16-year-olds can write a white paper that has like no real content, has no, they have no idea how they're going to bring it to market. They've got no experience in running actual businesses and they're able to raise $15 million plus $100 million. You know, that frightens me because like we're not, it's not like the market is rational enough to only give money to, you know, like, oh, well, I've looked at the team, I've done my due diligence and these are people who have a track record of delivery. And, and of being able to, to bring things to market successfully. It's like, well, their website looks kind of cool, and I'll be able to flip the ICO co token for like double. So I'm interested. <laughs> you know, like, we, we've got a completely irrational marketplace that has no idea how to do, do due diligence. We've got a, in fact, we, we've created a marketplace where due diligence is, is almost frowned on because, you know, heaven forbid you point out the issues. Um, and, and you point out how broken the idea is or how pointless having a token is or whatever, um, you just get shot down in a sea of like, oh, that's FUD. And, and so we, we really, we've created terribly, uh, uh, terrible disincentives for people that are willing and able to speak out against bad ideas um, through no fault of our own. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I throw money at ICOs all the time. And flip them for double. You know, like I'm part <laughs> of the problem. I'm not averse to making money, and uh, and and I'm I'm just sort of like hoping that this explodes sooner than later because um, if this continues, I feel like it's going to get really ugly, um, and and that's not great. I feel like we are basically we're in we're inviting attention um, to an industry that is extremely young an industry that is in its infancy, technology that's in its infancy. And we're inviting all the wrong kind of attention. We're inviting attention from scammers. We're inviting attention from, from the wrong type of regulators, regulators that want to shut this down because, look, you cost grandma her money and her inheritance, I mean, her pension, and how could you? That's terrible. So, you know, I look at that and I think to myself, maybe an explosion sooner than later, sooner rather than later is a good thing because even if we go into crypto winter for five years, it will mean that, um, that, that less idiotic ICOs um, come up and it will mean that whatever's left 
after crypto winter will be something that's worth um, taking a look at and playing around with. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean it's almost like we're becoming the multi-level marketing industry, the new the new industry. Yep. And we're attracting a lot of those people and it's just Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's so much easier for these people to go out and sell and get, you know, direct benefits of people buying because some of these coins and tokens are are probably not going to have very much liquidity, so seeing their price get pushed around 50% in a day is just I mean, we've seen it, you know, with plenty of tokens and coins. I don't know. It's it's really scary to me. I, I feel like, <laughs> and I, I I you know as much as you know you were saying you still invest in some of these ICOs. I've had such a problem like doing it. Uh, I think the only one I've really invested in recently was Civic, um, in, and mainly because you know they're out of Palo Alto. I have a little bit of trust in in Vinny Lingham, and um, you know, but still, I'm just like. Uh, you know, why, you know, to you, like your point, why don't we just go down the tra traditional VC route? Like, what do these people really have to hide? I, um, I can tell you why they don't go down the traditional VC <laughs> uh, Because if they pitched up at a VC and they were like, well, we have a white paper, um, the VC would like laugh them out the door. <laughs> like, they, they wouldn't, they, you know, they wouldn't even make it, like, like they wouldn't even make it into a meeting. Forget about like actually sort of being able to pitch their product, and yet all they need is a slick website yeah. and a bunch of hype, and now they're pitching their product to how many people? Yeah, I've been yeah. tempted to do it myself. I can do a website, like, yeah. like <laughs> you know, <it's laughs> millions. People are doing millions of dollars. These people who have who have no previous experience that have that haven't written a line of code, uh, their white papers aren't even technically interesting. No. And, their, their white papers don't even the present the business case. Their white paper just reads like a marketing yeah. document. Yeah. And a lot of them are marketers. I think they're, they're going to be among the most successful. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's a mess. It's, gonna, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be fun to watch. <laughs> oh, yeah, there will I'm, be a lot of <laughs> I'm investing in popcorn futures. I don't know. Maybe we should have like a popcorn ICO. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Um, so, um, all right. <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate your thoughts on that, and uh, you know, I hope that people watching, you know, do have some of these same thoughts because you know what's really going on is it's just not good. <laughs> like, but, anyways, uh, you know, moving on, um, and, and this kind of goes back to Monero governance. I guess what I'm wondering is. So how do you guys decide um, like what to work on? And, and, and I believe you guys kind of do a, a donation-based funding, which is, I think is really cool. Um, I was wondering if maybe you could talk about um, like how, how you guys decide what, what you're going to work on next and how you guys raise funds for the developers to do it. Sure. So uh, everyone decides on what they want to work on. Um, I mean, it's an open source project. Like I, I can, in a meeting, for example, make suggestions and I can be like, oh, we need this thing done. And I can ask someone, I can be like, hey, Monero Mood, do you mind doing this? And, you know, if he's interested, he'll do it. If he's not, he'll be like, no, um, someone else can. So, so, you know, I guess 
the closest analogy to that is is Kanban. It's kind of like a Kanban model. There's a bunch of stuff that needs to be done, and anyone can can come and pick it up and do it. And I guess that probably the best example of that is um, we have our own implementation of compact blocks um, called Fluffy Blocks. <laughs> I can say it. <laughs> but um, but but basically, what happened was I'd spoken about I'd spoken a little. I can't even remember where. I think I wrote on Stack Exchange. Might have been Stack Exchange or Reddit or something. I wrote about how cool Compact Blocks was and how easy it is to do something like that and how useful it would be um, to to do that in Monero. And um, and I was like, cool, you know, like like at some point I need to write this up a little bit more formally, and then you know, like maybe in a couple of years we'll we'll get to it because it's not too super critical. And then like I don't know, like six months later, someone submitted a pull request, and they're like, well, this is an initial implementation of um, of of compact blocks uh, that that Fluffy wrote about on Stack Exchange, uh, and we're calling it Fluffy Blocks. And I was just like, what? <laughs> this came out of nowhere. No, like I didn't even know he was working on this. It's like, I think this was like his second contribution to the project, you know, um, and that came out the blue. So really, like, you know, they, they, that wasn't like on a roadmap. That wasn't like in a in a GitHub issue. He just pitched up one day, read the thing on Stack Exchange, and he was like, "Cool, I'm going to do this." So, so, so we get a lot of that. That that kind of happens all the time, um, which is great. And uh, and beyond that, yeah, like I mean, there's. A general sense of what we want to accomplish um, amongst the the sort of dev group. Um, there are open GitHub issues, and sometimes people pitch up and say, "Hey, I want to help," and we point them to open GitHub issues. Sometimes people pitch up and say, "I'm not a C developer or C plus C plus plus developer, but I'm a Java developer," and then we point them to Coinomy because Coinomy are busy um, adding Monero integration, and they needed a Java developer. You know, so we have that. People pitch up, and and if they know different languages, we can point them at um, projects that other people have started that that need help. Um, but by and large, everyone just like works on what they want to work on. You know, they which is nice, really. Uh, it does mean that sometimes there's underlying stuff that um, that I would like to see worked on, like replacing the wire protocol with ZMTP. Um, that's something that I've I've wanted uh, someone to tackle for a while. Um, and uh, I have a lack of time to sort of tackle it myself. Um, I spend a ton of time reviewing pull requests and not enough time writing code. And so, you know, that's like like a little carrot out there. If anyone feels like digging into some C++ and doing that, please. Um, but yeah, like it will eventually get done. Um, it just won't get done on some magic time frame that I have, uh, which is why it's always funny when people come and pitch up and sort of, Expect timeframes, or expect deliverables, or expect dates. It's like, yeah, that's something we want to do, but it'll be done when somebody decides to pick it up and do it, uh, not before then. Um, and and people do things in their their own time frame and based on their own schedule. By and large, the 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 bulk of the contributors work um, because they believe in Monero and they work on Monero unpaid. Um, and and that's a pretty big group of developers, some of which spend an, an enormous amount of time um, working on Monero. Like literally, they leave their day jobs and they work on Monero in the evenings and on weekends for no pay. And that's amazing. That amazing. Um, and 
And then over and above that, we have a funding system on a crowdfunding system on the Monero Forum. And that's been incredibly powerful because we funded uh, two full-time developers and one full-time researcher. Um, so, you know, that's, that's exciting. Um, and, uh, oh, and then multiple part-time um, people as well. So, like, like having those, having that where, that, that sort of set up where if the community believes something should happen, they throw money at it, um, is, is really powerful because it means if someone comes along and says, I want to do this thing and clearly can't, he can try raise money, but the community is not going to throw money at them. And so, you know, it's sort of, um, it, it, it means that the stuff that really should get worked on as a matter of urgency does get worked on because those people get funded uh, really quickly. In fact, we've, we've, had, um, we've had a really nice problem recently, and that is a lack of crowdfunding proposals. Like, there aren't enough. When a crowdfunding proposal goes up, it gets funded in, like, six hours. And, like, people wake up and they're like, oh, I missed it. I'm so irritated. There's nothing for me to throw money at. <laughs> so, you know, like, like that's, that's, a, that's a good problem to have. Um, and and I, I'm hoping that that continues. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. Um, I think it, having a, a really strong community uh, will speak so much more uh, for the future of a currency than anything, uh, especially with you know, having people that are just willing to throw money and, and support the developers. And, and one thing I noticed uh, looking at some of the crowdfunding proposals is they're relatively, um, I mean, the developers themselves don't, don't ask for a ton of money. Um, I mean, I think I saw the last yeah. one for Moo, $30. I mean, that's development world. That, that's, and especially in blockchain development world, that's, that's like nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the crazy thing. You look at like, you look at some of the ICOs and, and was it, was it Bancor that raised that after the ICO <laughs> had raised the equivalent of $3.5 million per line of code or something like that? Wow. I don't know. It's yeah. crazy like that. Um, and, and you look at that and you're like, wow, okay, this is, this is nuts. And then you've got like Monero developers who are like, well, $30 an hour. And I'm like, wow, that's a really low rate for a, a senior C++ <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Um, and I don't know. So, Austin, do you want to maybe ask your... Yeah, the, <laughs> the Hornet's Nest question. So uh, I guess we could start with, like, so the other... I think, if I'm not mistaken, the, the, the two other, like, primary largest market cap uh, uh, are Zcash and Dash. And I was wondering if you could talk about your opinions about them, and you can cover anything from uh, what you think about their privacy guarantees or to what you think about their culture uh, or what you think about uh, whatever you want. Uh, so most of your opinions <laughs> on Zcash and Dash. While we're at it, let's uh, kick around Ethereum too. And what do you what do you think about uh, that's another <laughs> another one you can uh, oh you'd like? You couldn't have picked um, three nicer currencies for me to comment on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Austin. I see. I see what this is. Okay, you know this is an ambush. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure. Hey. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> By no means not meant to be an ambush. <laughs> I, I feel like I should crack open one of the bottles of wine before I start this. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> no, look, uh, 
you know, I I think look the, the the first thing is, and and this is something that I I tend to say quite often because nobody really pays attention when I do. Um, when I comment on another cryptocurrency, I'm not trying to spread fud. I'm not trying to change, move their price, or you know, speak ill of people who work on it. Um, I can be kind of cutting and snarky, especially on Twitter. But I, there are a lot of cryptocurrencies that I really like, and there are a lot of crypto, a lot of people working on cryptocurrencies where I, I might not even agree with the the model the the funding model or whatever that the thing uses but i have respect for them as individuals or i have respect for the work they're doing so it's it's not that i go around like slamming every cryptocurrency that isn't monero because that's something that people have claimed that said i i think that there is a general lack of seriousness in this industry um and and pragmatism and i think that uh, and and probably the 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 best sort of um, way to explain that is I look at some of the things that people are working on and I ask myself, why are they working on it as a separate cryptocurrency? Why haven't they just submitted that feature as a pull request to Bitcoin? And the reason that they haven't is because they want to make money. And we all want to make money. But, you know, if you have something that is genuinely good and genuinely useful, and you have the ability to code it up, like your first thought should be submit a pull request to Bitcoin, not fork mm-hmm. Bitcoin and make money. And, and that's the fact that I've seen this over and over again is disappointing because ultimately what we're ending up with are, um, is a marketplace that's unable to distinguish between good ideas and bad ideas. And a marketplace that hypes up cryptocurrencies and and ICOs and whatever based on all sorts of stupid things based on, you know, like whether it sounds like it's a good idea, not whether it actually is a good idea, not whether there's mathematical proofs that, that accompany the claims, the security claims of a particular cryptocurrency. They say things like, Oh, it's the transactions are instant. The, the transactions are anonymous. The transactions are private, whatever. They, they make these claims, but they're not backed up by research. They're not backed up by a mathematical model. They're not making it. They don't even make these claims and say, uh, under the following um, cryptographic model, it, the, this is right. true. They just state it. And I'm like, okay, you know, you're making a security claim, yeah. but how, where's your proof? That that's true. Yeah, or what even what is the threat model? Yeah, they don't. Yeah, that's it. They don't, they, that's it. They don't. They don't talk about threat models. They don't talk about disincentives. There's none of that. There's no adversarial thinking, and the problem is when it when it's it's baby and when it's small and no one uses it, no problem, not an issue. Then you know have a test net and and do your thing, but when it's big and people are throwing money at it and and people are starting to trust your claims of privacy or instant transactions or world computer or immutability or whatever your claims are, when people are starting to trust those claims and then everything collapses around them, the people with egg on their face are not going to be just the creators of that particular cryptocurrency. It's going to be me. I'm going to be the one who's advocated um, pro-privacy projects and advocated for cryptocurrencies in general. I'm going to be the one that looks like an idiot. 
I'm going to be the one that all my friends are going to turn around to and say like, oh, bro, yeah, I, yeah your entire industry collapsed, you know. And they did. Mm -hmm. When the Dow thing happened, the Dow theft happened, yeah. I, had, I had people saying to me like, oh, bro, yeah, yeah your company went bankrupt. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know that DAO thing? I, I hear your company went bankrupt. I was like, no, dude, it's not even, not at all. Like, like no one, ordinary people don't have the ability to, um, to, to figure out like where my involvement with Bitcoin starts and ends mm -hmm. and where other people's involvement starts and ends. They think that I'm solely responsible. My, uh, my, my non-technical friends think I'm solely responsible for Bitcoin, Ethereum, Monero, and everything <laughs> else. They think I created Bitcoin. <laughs> I, I, I got asked the other day like by one, by one of my friends, um, uh, he's like, bro, but like, I heard like the CEO of, um, uh, of Bitcoin is Australian. Did they get that wrong? Cause you're South African. I was like, what? No. no, 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 you know, that's Craig Wright. Yeah, it's Craig Wright. <laughs> so, like, I, you know, th this is the problem that, that when these, when these bad ideas collapse and they will collapse eventually under the weight of their own stupidity, then people that are trying to genuinely just work on things for the, for the, hopefully for the benefit of mankind are the ones that end up looking like idiots. And so, so that having been said and, and, you know, sort of having laid that groundwork, um, I do have issues with, uh, with those three cryptocurrencies you mentioned. And, and I, I mean, I don't want to go into like oodles of detail, but you know, Dash by and large is just a joke. Um, I mean, honestly, you know, like, like uh, if we thought that mining cabals were bad, I mean, just wait till, wait till masternode cabals start. I mean, it's the, the whole, the whole concept of masternodes is again, like it just flies in the face of trustlessness and, and of what, what anyone's trying to accomplish and achieve here. And then like beyond that, um, you, you again have these claims of instant transactions, private transactions. But backed up by what? When they do back up the claims of privacy by math, to use probability, um, which you know they go like, well, there are six thousand masternodes, and so if your transaction goes to one one of those six thousand and another of those six thousand, then eventually, however many loops you jump through, it's like the power of six thousand, and that's sort of like the 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 chance of it being um, of it, of it sort of or decoded or, or the part being figured out, which is actually not incorrect. It's just that no attacker would, would go like, I'm going to run one master node and hope that you just hit me a bunch of times and that's how I'm going to de decrypt the path. I mean, attackers would do obvious things like um, infiltrate the VPS that you run on because that's trivial because you're an idiot who has no idea how to secure your box. Um, oh, oh you, you know how to secure your box? Cool distributed denial of service to take you off the network so that no transactions can go through you. Um, or, you know, the other thing is there's no, is there's a lack of liquidity. There's a, cause obviously this is coin join. Um, there's a lack of liquidity. So there's lack, a lack of other people using the service uh, when you want to use the service mm -hmm. to mix. Well, okay, cool. No problem. What we're going to do is just set up a bunch of like um, Sybil using liquidity that we own. And so then we can right. see the path because we own 99% of the liquidity in the mixing network. These are all yeah. obvious flaws 
but but this get the, the thing is right. this gets battered down as no that will never happen or no it can't happen because you know eight to the power of six thousand is the probability, and and so I can't I can't take something like that seriously where there's no no genuine interest in analyzing um, various threat models and fixing them, where so when these when these issues are presented they just get ignored or hand waved away, you know. When somebody presents a genuine issue with Monero, we look at it and we go like, that is a problem. How do we fix it? We don't hand wave stuff away. That's irresponsible. So, so putting that aside, then you have like Ethereum where, again, um, I, I don't fundamentally have a problem with this, the concept of smart contracts. Cool. You want to do smart contracts. You want to do machine-to-machine um, stuff. No problem. I get all of that. Why do all of them need to be executed by every computer in the world that's a node? You know? and, and now, instead of designing scaling from the beginning, it was like, well, let's first design a really crappy mechanism that doesn't scale, and then we'll use sharding. Sharding will fix everything. You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> oh, God, it's like going, it's like going backwards. And, and the other problem that, that Ethereum and Zcash have um, which seems to be quite common the minute you've got people with comp sci degrees involved um, because like, you know, Dash is the exact opposite. No one with a STEM degree would touch it. Um, and, and with Zcash and Eth, you've got people who genuinely are clever, genuinely do have comp sci degrees. And so then they, they have this, this problem, which is the not invented year syndrome. And so instead of going, um, cool, the way Bitcoin does things works. We're going to do the same thing, but then we're going to slowly modify piece by piece. They go, oh, let's throw out like this entire thing and do 12-second blocks, and let's also reward people who have orphan blocks because that makes complete sense, and there couldn't possibly be an incentive to mine empty blocks and purposely have them orphaned. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's all this weird stuff that, that they do for no reason. There's no, there's no valid reason for it except that they have the not invented year syndrome. We must do things differently because Zcash killed off useful opcodes, um, at least one of them, for no reason other than like, you know, oh, we're killing opcodes randomly, so let's kill this one. Um, and it, it's like I, I look at all this stuff and I think to myself, again, um, you know, with Monero, we're doing the exact opposite. We're like, Okay, cool. So, you know, Bitcoin does this. I mean, and don't get me wrong, we do stuff very differently to Bitcoin in, in certain places. Um, you know, we have infinite emission. That's completely different to Bitcoin. But, I mean, we, we don't make changes like that for no reason. We don't, we're not doing it just to be different. You know, we, we take research papers that apply to Bitcoin, and then we, like, dissect them and see if they apply to Monero too, and then we apply um, the, the recommended changes. We've just done that with um, with uh, uh, anchor connections and uh, and white and black and gray list connections to peers to reduce the risk of uh, node isolation attacks based on a paper that applies to Bitcoin because we're not trying to do things that are, are so like crazy and vastly different. Um, we're just trying to do a Bitcoin-like digital currency that happens to use a different ECE curve and you know is pro privacy. But fundamentally, it's still proof of work, and it's you know still a blockchain and still UTX, well, TXOs and inputs, and so like 
this not invented yes in Germany is to how much of stupidity and, and insaneness, or oh, insanity rather. Um, specific issues that I have as well with, uh, with like Ethereum, um, like is just the fact that they, they've tried to do this whole, uh, let's have multiple implementations in multiple languages, which is, is not a bad thing. I'm not saying that that's like uh, some sort of, you know, net negative. The problem with it is their approach. Their approach has not been to first get it right in one language and then start working on other languages. Their approach has been to do multiple languages at the same time, then have disagreements about how an EIP should actually be implemented because the EIP was kind of vague, you know, and, and yet they still laud, laud this whole like, oh, we have a spec, and so we just stick to the spec, and yet reality proves otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, Zcash, I guess my, my biggest complaints are um, the fact that it's highly centralized and requires an incredible amount of trust, not only in the moon math, not only in the implementation, but also in the, with the whole trust, trusted setup. Um, this, this centralized nature of development where, um, where they make decisions as a company and then present it as a fait accompli to the, um, the community is also just crazy. They shut down the subreddit. They shut down the IRC channels. You know, like for and what? And the Slack. <laughs> and the Slack. You know, mm. I mean, sh- like if you want to create community, you don't shut down the community channels, firstly. And secondly, like you don't make decisions like that without engaging the community. So, so clearly, like, you know, when, with, this, with that sort of top-down um, decision model, like... It, it it can't be good for users. It's never going to be good for users because um, because the assumption is that they are like like with Vitalik that they are the ultimate what is good and wholesome and correct, and uh, that just provides a lever for an attacker to abuse. You know, I mean, the Ethereum price tanked because there were rumors of Vitalik's death. What a ridiculous like, you know, what a ridiculous cult of personality has been created. I hope that if I die, the Monero price will go up because finally people will be like, oh, good, he can't troll anymore. Yes. <laughs> well, um, I appreciate the thoughts on, on all that. And, you know, I, I guess you are on the, the Decred Assembly show, so I, I guess I will have to ask, uh, you know, kind of what are your opinions on, uh, on our project? Because uh, for, for those of you that don't know out there, we kind of have similar roots named anonymous person named Taco Time uh, kind of established the beginnings of us. So uh, just wondering, you know, I, I don't know how much you even know about Decred, so uh, if you could talk maybe about that for a second. Sure. So, yeah, like, like you mentioned, I mean, Taco Time is one of the seven people, along with myself, that forked Monero away from Thankful for today. And I have a great deal of respect for, for Taco Time um, and for uh, the research that he did on um, hybrid proof-of-work, proof-of-stake schemes. And so my, my primary interest with Decred was around that, um, around sort of hybrid proof-of-work, proof-of-stake schemes. I, I have a, a sort of passing interest in alternate governance models. I haven't done tons of research into um, how Decred's works, um, but, I mean, we had that, that little sort of back and forth on Twitter the other day that, that gave me a little bit of insight. Um, and, and sort of 
you know, like over and above that, there are a couple of other things I like about it. The fact that it uses BTCD um, as a basis, uh, the fact that um, releases are, uh, binaries are available for like every operating system on the planet uh, that's ever existed and will exist. A 32-bit Mac. Who has binaries for 32-bit <laughs> Mac? Come on, guys. I, I think... <laughs> I think Come on. Well, I think, I think they actually stopped uh, releasing those recently. <laughs> <but>. Okay. Because <laughs> when I saw the 32-bit Mac support, I was like, I don't even know if I can find a 32-bit Mac that connects to the internet anymore. <laughs> that was just crazy. But like, like I saw, I like that. You know, that sort of like, that sort of like tickles my nerd button. Um, and, uh, and, and I like stuff like that. And, you know, the, the command line interface is pretty slick. I don't use the, the GUI when I have used it. Um, and, yeah, like sort of stuff like that appeals to me. I, I don't have a strong opinion on the, uh, the pre-mine stuff and the amount set aside for the company. Sure. And I don't really care. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that have very strong opinions on that and, like, you know, down with everything that has a company as a, as a back end or as a, as a sort of a driver. I do think that in general it's a bad idea, but, like, at the end of the day, um, if it works and if, you know, you're able to build a strong community, who cares? Um, yeah. I, I don't think that you guys are, that, that Decred necessarily is, uh, is sort of massively, what's the word I'm, I'm thinking? I, I don't think that Decred is as uh, ideologically slanted as Monero is. Um, Monero is extremely, extremely ideologically driven uh, where, you know, people will will issue um, like profit making, um, and and will you know take decisions really slowly and work really slowly, because that is more important to them than uh, anything else. Than sort of uh, uh, you know, I mean, the the sort of greater good is more important than like oh, let's make a bunch of money. So so I think that that's sort of um, that's pretty critical. And and ultimately, like like Decred is one of those projects that when people say or when people claim that I hate every cryptocurrency that isn't Monero, I point to Decred as an example of a cryptocurrency I don't hate. And uh, and then they're like, yes, but that's because Decred doesn't threaten Monero. And then I point to the fact <laughs> that they're adding privacy to to Decred. And then they go, yes, but we have no more arguments. You're just a, uh, a fud. Uh, and yeah and you know we we are working on privacy stuff but uh, I I think this really kind of strikes my nerve in the space is the initial point of uh, or what everybody's been working on is to essentially fight the of banks and, and and recently it seems like there's been a lot of fight each other and I, I think one thing that I kind of is, is kind of you know projects aren't bad they're different and everybody's doing things different but that's a good thing you know and and you know some people are probably doing it for more of an incentive of money but you know, I can see, you know, many of the developers that work don't need the money. Like, um, they are, they were, you know, well 
off way before Bitcoin. So, um, you know, and, and I think kind of spoke about uh, BTCD, and I don't know if you know this, but the same devs D are, um, or, you know, there's obviously uh, side of BTCD, uh, but, you know, they're the same devs that built Decred. And, um, you know, I was wondering, maybe you could talk about your opinions on kind of what happened with BTCD uh, when it was initially launched, because, you know, they, they kind of got blacklisted from the beginning of, you know, hey, software, because it's, you know, a fork, you know, it's a different implementation that can cause all these issues. Um, wondering yeah. kind of what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. Um... So, so, I mean, there had been things like Bitcoin J and whatever um, that, that were uh, partial re-implementations of Bitcoin, you know, providing tools to, to do things like create transactions or whatever in, in other languages, um, or at least provide bindings. And, uh, and BTCD um, was created by Conformal, and, and I was always impressed by the fact that they, they didn't, it never came across as like a huge money-making project. You know, they were just like, well, we're going to do a re-implementation of Bitcoin in Go. Um, and there was no like, we're going to do a re-implementation and it's going to be for enterprise users and we're going to sell it for $5,000 a month. Um, right. It was just like, well, this is what we're doing. And it was all on it, the sources available as they worked on it. And there was no like, there was no grandstanding. So I like that. Um there were serious concerns raised, um, like like throughout, and those concern by by uh, Bitcoin core developers, and those concerns really boiled down to the fact that if this picked up a lot of steam, and if it picked up a lot of users, then it would create um, a portion of the network that could split off in the event of there being an issue, um, of there being a bug in in say BTCDs whatever, you know. Um, these are not invalid um, or, or incorrect uh, concerns. Um, I think at the time, because Bitcoin was younger than it is now, um, those claims were, or, or those concerns had a lot of validity. I think now, um, you know, given the number of, of different implementations that are running on the network, like um, uh, Bitcoin Unlimited and all of that um, and given the fact that Bitcoin Unlimited has in the past had an issue and and crashed and uh, and anyone running those well tough for them I think that it's no longer a valid concern I think anyone and, and they are they are now large not large but they, they are significant portions of the network um, running BTCD for things like um, Open Bazaar and and other projects that use it, um, so you know you're running it as a as a, a, a full Bitcoin node. You're running it as a backend, and it works. And you know it kind of works until it doesn't. And if a portion of the network splits off because of a bug, then like as we've seen, people will switch to core, or that bug will get patched, and people will upgrade. And I think it will be disruptive, but it won't disrupt the network as a whole. Where previously, I think there was a, a concern that maybe it would disrupt the network as a whole because we'd end up with like, like say, you know, say like a 50-50 split. Um, 
But now we've got Bcoin and a bunch of other implementations. So honestly, it's like less of a concern. Um, and and I, I, I mean, I, at the beginning, I'm like I saw the amount of flack that that Conformal took for it, and I did feel that it was a little heavy-handed because I understood the concerns. Um, I just felt that maybe those concerns could be like positioned in a, a different way or stated in a different way. Um, uh, you know, or at least there could be some support that was that, that would be lent to them because, um, you know, as part of of, uh, of a project like BTCD, you end up with a test suite that you can run against Bitcoin Core as well. You know, let's have a bunch of test transactions, blocks, and situations, networks, whatever. Let's see what happens if we do this and we do the other. Let's see what what how core handles it and let's see how btcd handles it if neither fall down and and neither end up with like major performance degradation great we we can end up with a a common test framework to run against multiple implementations so so that's i think um net positive and i think that ultimately the attitude has changed um because um, I've seen, but the same Bitcoin core developers that in the past had been um, had been sort of quite aggressively against it, have subsequently now more recently pointed to it as um, as alternative implementations and how uh, Bitcoin core is not against alternate implementations. Um, you know, not that they're massively embracing, but at least they're not sort of aggressively working against it either. So, so I think that that's kind of cool, and I think um, I, I think that change in attitude has been important. Um, so, so yeah, I'm like, I, I for one, am grateful for the work that uh, that Conformal have done, um, or whatever they're called now. They're not Conformal anymore. They're company C Zero. Yeah, C Zero, Company Zero. I'm really grateful for the work they've done because the other thing is, um, it it taught me a lot about how multiple implementations might be handled. Um, and and one of the things that we want to do in Monero is uh, is end up with a very small, compact um, consensus library, and then encourage multiple implementations that all use that consensus library. They can go and re-engineer that consensus library at a later stage if they want, but at least like initially, let them let them go and work on their own database, their own wire protocol implementation, all that jazz. Because at least we know the consensus library will weed out the vast majority of issues. Um, you know, at least we know the transactions by nodes written in multiple languages will all be accepted as transactions. Blocks will all be accepted as blocks. You know, if they have a database issue underneath that, that's out of our control. But at least you know we validated the block and passed it through um, in this library. So that that's sort of that's a, a, a takeaway that I got from that because. When I was thinking about how Core could have done it differently, um, uh, and how they are actually, you know, they're building libconsensus, it struck me as being an ideal way to encourage multiple implementations with less of a risk. Um, and so that's, you know, ultimately it's been cool for Monero because that's the takeaway, and that's the that's where we're busy working towards at the moment. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and I I think. You know, and the arguments that you know, there's multiple implementations of TCP/IP, and what this does is is make the 
uh, network more robust. And I think the amount of flack that they got for engineering Bitcoin Go kind of turned them off on, on Bitcoin. I mean, they still support BTC Suite today. Um, it's not as efficient as it used to be. And, you know, I think it's been difficult for them to keep up with the core team has. But, um, you know, I think I think multiple implementations are always a good thing. So, And, and that was, I think, you know, one of the many reasons that they went and spawned Decred. So... Yeah, I guess you said earlier um, that um, you know if what well, you know why not just engineer this into Bitcoin or submit a pull request? And I think they tried that route, <laughs> and some of the stuff didn't uh, you know get accepted, and they had difficulty getting PRs in. So it is uh, what it is. But um, so I'm going to start the audience questions now. Panel. Uh, the first question is uh, is a little bit. Uh, and we'll try to not be too long because we're already over time now, but, um, you know, you guys are awesome. As, as long as you have a little bit more time, Ricardo. Uh, sure. Okay, great. Um, so the first question was, uh, I'm scrolling back. Um, how can Kavri, uh be used to benefit other projects? Uh, and maybe you can speak about Monero, about this. I, I'm not familiar what Kavri is unless you guys are too. Sure. So Kavri is a Monero project. Um, it, it lives on the Monero GitHub repo. Um, it has uh, its own set of contributors, but there's also a lot of contributor um, bleed between the two projects. Um, there's a lot of stuff that Kavri does that um, that Kavri has done that we benefit from in Monero. Uh, for example, we're now moving away from dumping stuff into our source tree and going towards using Git submodules, and that's because it, uh, we've been doing it in Kavri and it's been successful. What Kavri actually is, is an I2P router or router, I guess, if you're American. Um, and <laughs> I2P is a hidden services network, so it's like Tor. Um, it, it's got a slightly different, um, not slightly different, it's got a very different uh, structure and, and sort of way it works. But the net result is roughly the same, that you can run a hidden service, and then you have end-to-end -end encryption, and the flow of traffic is, uh, is, is hidden and obfuscated so that you can't tell where an, an actual service is running from. You can't tell its real IP address. Um, now, the advantage for Monero is that once Kavri reaches a, a state of maturity, of higher maturity than it is now, it's going to be bolted in um, to the Monero daemon, and then when transactions are broadcast on the network, by default, they will go over I2P. Um, and blocks will still move over normal IPv4. So the advantage is that when you broadcast a transaction, your IP address will be obscured. That said, Kavri is not something we're writing just for Monero. It's a full-blown I2P router, and it will support SAM and, and a whole bunch of... Eventually, it will support... Um, you know, through sort of like external layers and so on, it'll support all of the ITP protocols. And uh, um, and ultimately, you know, you'll be able to like not care about Monero at all and run Kavri as an ITP router. The reason we didn't use the standard um, ITP router is because that's written in Java. And we didn't want to add a Java dependency to um, a project that ships as a compiled binary and doesn't need anything like that. So, so that's sort of 
Uh, you know, you can imagine you're running in, a, a, in, in an environment like Cubes or Tails. Um, having to suddenly install Java is, like, not ideal, um, especially yeah. considering the number of Java's O-Days. <laughs> so that's, you know, Covery is not, um, not a, it, it's a, it's an independent project under the Monero project umbrella. And we're hoping to do more of those in future. So um, not necessarily like re-implementations or anything like that, but you know, if if we wanted to create, or if somebody came along and they were like, "Hey, I want to create a storm uh, storm forwarding messaging system," and I've, this is my research paper, um, they can come build that under the Monero umbrella. They get the advantage of um, Monero uh, having structure. Um, they get the advantage of the Monero community being willing to fund stuff. They get the advantage of um, the Monero Research Lab researchers being able to um, to to review and pick at their at their research, um, and they get a bunch of contributors as a you know that 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 will definitely hack away at stuff on the side at the beginning. So you've got you know there's there's massive advantage um, to that, and I think that that uh, Covery is the first in the line of many, and the Monero project is going to be a um, a, a sort of uh, uh, privacy epicenter where um, people who have interesting pri pro privacy projects will come and they will build them, and that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I could definitely see um, maybe Cobry being implemented on Decred. I, I can't speak for the developers, though, but uh, it sounds like it, it's something that could be ported over to some other projects, which uh, which is really cool. And I really support any sort of thing that brings the industry together as a whole instead of tearing it apart. Um, I also had another question, you know, and I, I don't, I can't really speak to this, but uh, you know, can can we create synergies uh, between the projects? I guess I, I think they're speaking between Decred and Monero. Um, you know, I, I specifically had an idea. Uh, you know, maybe cross-chain atomic swaps after we both have privacy, I think could um, imp could increase privacy between both projects. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I mean, um, I, I don't think that the Monero community um, or the Monero developers or whatever are averse to, to anything like that. I think at the end of the day, um, it, it depends on, on what a synergy would look like. Um, certainly, you know, we'd, we'd like to get, uh, more contributors. Um, and, uh, if, and so that's obviously something that, that would be advantageous. And I don't know if we, if we ever have like a, a Monero sort of, um, a parallel, uh, implementation written in Go, then, you know, there, there could be the opportunity for contributor contributors to sort of like, um, uh, bleed between the projects. Um, ultimately, you know, there's that, and there's also like the the whole sort of funding thing. The fact that Monero is unfunded, um, and so you know, if there's scope for like, um, oh, cool, Monero created this thing, and we want to use it, and so we're going to uh, donate to the project because of that. That also then helps Monero development, um, and and ultimately, like, we just want to, um, like, like I don't think that we aggressively reject anything uh, in this space. Um, except for bad projects and bad ideas um, that we sort of fundamentally reject as a community and as a whole. But sure, if there's scope for synergy and there's scope for for um, for people to work together, then like by all means. 
it's an open source project. I can't control what people do. Um, <laughs> yeah, what I want absolutely. to. And, and so if a Decred developer pitched up in a Monero dev meeting and said, hey, cool, what if we did this? Like, you know, the, the dev community is there. They can say yes or no. Um, and, uh, and so there's, you know, it, it's permissionless and it's, I'm powerless to stop anyone from doing anything. So yeah, by all means, if synergies are going to exist, they're going to exist. Definitely. And um, excellent answer. And, and I totally agree. Um, you know, same goes for Monero devs. Uh, our project is very open to collaborating and working with developers. I mean, we need more developers too, just like any project in this space. Um, so, um, <laughs> so uh, somebody had, uh, I don't know, these probably are getting too specific. Uh, how can Decred benefit from your trolling services? <laughs> I don't, you don't need to answer that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't know if they can afford my trolling services, but we can talk. Hey, hey, well, we have a DAO, so we can, uh, you know, we can nice. pitch funds. <laughs> I make really good announcement videos. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe you can talk about that. I meant, to, I meant to actually bridge into that conversation after the ICOs, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you can talk about briefly, um, because... <laughs> So most people probably don't know this, but I, I went to lunch um, meeting up with Colin Crypto and some other guys, uh, and unbeknownst to me, uh, Fluffy showed up, and uh, I was actually part of you know seeing the uh, announcement a little earlier than uh, I should have. And, um, that was the first time we had actually ever met in person. <laughs> and um, I don't know, maybe you could talk briefly about uh, the announcement that, you know, obviously... Uh, I don't know. I thought, I thought uh, philosophically it was really good, but you know, at the same time, there's obviously some downside to that. Yeah, I um, so I created this announcement video for the Monero uh, uh, Enterprise YouTube Alliance. Enterprise <laughs> Alliance. Yeah, I can't even remember what it's called. Um, and the website's slap. It's mea.business, and and the video is amazing. You know, like <laughs> it took me like two hours. It's great. So, <laughs> um, and I did it all in iMovie on a Mac. Um, at any rate, at any rate, like part of it was born out of frustration um, at at consensus. I was quite frustrated with some of the 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 goings on and with everyone releasing a token and with oh man, there were so many suits and it just felt to me like it felt to me like we were losing our way, you know. And everyone had an announcement to make, and I was like, Monero doesn't have an announcement. Um, and so, like, I did this whole thing as a joke because, you know, like, like in my mind, Monero is still, like, whatever, seven people in an RSC channel. Um, like, <laughs> <laughs> who pays attention to Monero? Come on. And uh, at any rate, yeah, the, the, some people, with some people, the announcement video was well-received. With other people, not so much because the price did a little pump and then did a, a little dump after the the announcement video was released. Um, in, in all honesty, I don't know. I mean, like, like I, I created a little write-up about, uh, you know, like if that, if that announcement video frustrated you, um, like, you know, yeah, some things to think about. And so some people took that as a, um, as like, oh, Fluffy Pony was trying to teach an object lesson, which is also not true. I wasn't like, I didn't go into that going like, 
I will teach everyone a lesson. <laughs> Look at me. I am the teacher of lessons. I went into that going like, this is hilarious. Everyone's going to laugh. And yeah, not everyone laughed. Um, apparently, apparently you know, saying there's going to be an announcement was the same as like, you know, as announcing that Segwit is coming to Monero, which is nonsense because we already have Segwit. We've had Segwit since last year. Um, and, uh, and it's like it's just crazy that like 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 that that people took it so seriously. I couldn't believe it. But it was like, you know, I only really realized that people were taking it seriously like as it happened. Because I mean all of this happened in such a short period of time. And by then it was too late. It was like, you know, oh dear. So I, I made sort of like an apology video, not an apology video, but just like a video where I discussed um how I'd misread the situation and how I'd miss how how I'd um, underestimated the change in the Monero community and the fact that there were the, the Monero community was a lot bigger than than it was in 2014 and oh, I don't know that was just my stupidity um, so lessons learned uh, yeah not something I'm going to be repeating I will definitely make more videos but I will not make like troll announcements like that. <laughs> lessons learned. Yeah, and well, and I think the people that were mainly disappointed by the announcement were primarily people that were newer to Monero. I mean, because like, I don't know, the language of the tweets that went out and stuff, I thought it was somewhat pretty obvious that this was not like, it's Monero, which is already open, pretty open and transparent on, you know, what, like, what's going on. And I, I think there, you know, there's not like a secret group of you guys that are probably, you know, trying to make these enterprise alliance deals anti against whatever you, what your whole community is about that um yeah, i don't so know it, it, what we're I doing it, you it know, know, like, i guess for others <laughs> yeah it's completely the opposite of, of everything so yeah anyway uh, it's um i don't know like it, it's just uh it definitely is just lessons learned. Like I, I think like, you know, we've, we've moved on as a community. Uh, occasionally, there's some clown on Reddit, Ohio Moonchild, that uh, he like tries to use every thread to be like, yes, get rid of Flappy Pony because all he does is destroy <laughs> things. He's the destroyer of worlds and destroyer of Mineros too. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um... Okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take one last question and somebody already asked it. Um, and it has to do with, uh, I'll switch the camera to me. Uh, it has to do with CryptoNote. Um, so it says CryptoNote has one centralized point of failure. If someone or AI or quantum computers or whatever breaks ring signature anonymity, currencies blockchain will be completely de-anonymized. De Is it secure enough? Um, well, I don't know, what, what, go ahead. Do you have any thoughts or even Austin or I mean if you if you're oh, that crypto is so well understood if you break it we have a lot bigger problems than than Monero breaking yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's I mean yeah the traceable ring sigs is not exactly a new a new paper a new research paper that's just come out um, and we're talking about stuff that uh, that like Austin said is is very well understood um, uh, that said. Even if there were some phenomenal break that led to people being able to um, trivially 
figure out which is the true signer in an input in a ring signature based on the key image, then uh, then it would compromise Monero's um, traceability, but it would not compromise ring CT and it would not compromise Monero's linkability or unlinkability rather. So, you know, we, the stealth, stealth addresses would still work. Uh, the, the amounts being hidden would still work. So you would still get reasonably strong privacy um, just from those two, uh, at least stronger privacy than, than you would get from just using Bitcoin as an example. So it's not like our entire um, privacy model depends on, um, on passive analysis failing. And in fact, ring signatures are the weakest um, of our privacy claims because choosing um, transactions to mix with and, uh, and, and what that looks like and um, uh, the, the distribution of that and whether you choose uh, how you weight recent transactions versus older transactions, um, th that entire mechanism is ongoing. You know, we, we don't have the perfect, uh, the, the perfect distribution right now. Um, we've got a reasonable distribution uh, we use triangular distribution, but we also weight 30% of the um, the outputs towards recent transactions. Maybe that's good enough. Maybe it's not. All of this is ongoing research, and we consider that our weakest privacy claim um, and, and an area where we're never going to stop researching. So I don't think a, I don't think a substantial break in it would be um, would be that much worse than what we have right now, which is, um, hey, this is the weakest area um, when it comes to privacy. Um, it's entirely possible, by the way, that that with large enough data gathering um, and, and with uh, enough clever guesswork and with enough subpoenas to exchanges who, and, and, um, and service providers who are the largest creators of transactions in the network, um, on an individual basis, that someone can make educated guesses as to the traceability of um, our transactions. And maybe those educated guesses, despite our best efforts, are reasonably good. And so maybe traceability in Monero is pretty weak as it is, uh, in which case no amount of, of, um, of clever foot, uh, foot movements and, uh, and whatever will make a big difference. We'll, it'll always be the weakest area um, with regards to privacy claims. But the other two areas um, uh, that are ring CT obscuring amounts and stealth addresses obscuring the destination are extremely strong. And, uh, and we're extremely confident in those by comparison. So you're not going to lose link, uh, unlinkability. You're not going to lose um, transaction amount hiding just because one area ends up being weaker than we imagine. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the sense that um, uh, loss of Privacy would be a big concern. My my bigger concern would be a, a break in soundness that, that would allow a yeah um, allow minting of coins that wouldn't be detectable until after the bug was found and, and searched for. That would be my bigger concern. No, I agree, and um, that's that's why with Monero we're we're sort of um, you know we we're very careful about a lot of the stuff that we've done because of that and because of the the very high risk of the economic model being at risk. Um, it's I saw somebody. Um, Somebody said, I think on Twitter the other day, um, that you know, because the, the with Zcash, for example, the the risk of the economic model being point being uh, broken 
is is often sort of hand waved away or at least sort of poo pooed down into the corner. Um, and someone on Twitter said the other day, like, well, if your economic model is broken, then what's the point? Like, it doesn't matter that you provide strong privacy. If um, if the economic model is broken, then you're not a currency. You're a joke. And right. yeah, th that's really it. Right. And there are people, like, I, I think, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I, I think Peter Todd uh, thinks of it that way, too. He doesn't, at least as, from what he said publicly, he doesn't hold Zcash. He passes through it like a sort yeah. of a... A grand trustless mixer. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess and he trusts himself. <laughs> he trusts himself right. in his opsec, so that's why he. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a really great blog for all of you guys out there. The Peter Todd um, Zcash story and the Canadian desolate Canadian highway. It's a. <laughs> it's an excellent story if you guys haven't read it. Um, Okay, well, and you know, and one of the last things I want to say to that is, uh, I think a lot of people, I mean, a lot of cryptographers probably realize that one day uh, encryption will be broken, and it's just kind of pushing that timeline out as far as possible. Yeah, that they can. Yeah, so. pretty much all of your TLS sessions, um, your HTTPS stuff, all of that's being recorded, and one day your TLS uh, encryption is going to be broken. So everything you do on the web is probably going to be decrypted one day anyway. Might as well just push it out as long as we can. Push it out beyond <laughs> your death. <laughs> yeah. Once I'm dead, it's awesome. fine. They can decrypt everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then then your ancestors and uh, you know all your grandchildren and stuff are subject to whatever. But anyways, okay. Well, um, so I think we're gonna wrap up the show. It's been almost two hours. Um, you know, thank you, Ricardo, for coming on the show. You have been a really awesome guest. Uh, I think we had a lot of really great conversation. Um, you know, thank you, Austin, for for joining us on the show. Uh, always great to have you. Um, and you know, one of the last things uh, to give you guys a heads up on: uh, we so on July 10th, we are actually going to have uh, Charlie Lee from Litecoin on the show. A big member in the Decred community for a while now. Um, he also contributed to one of the white papers that uh, spawned where, what created Decred. So uh, really excited to have him on the show. Uh, I think it's going to be at 3 p.m. Pacific time on Monday, July 10th. And all of you guys out there that have been watching the show, please like the show, tweet about it, comment. Um, you know, if you, if you want other people to be able to come and find it and see the show. Um, yeah, and... Uh, happy 4th of July, everybody, and we will see you next time. Uh, Ricardo, do you have any last words, anything you want to say? I think we had a lot of Monero people watching, too. So, No, uh, just, yeah, like if anyone wants to get involved with Monero, you're more than welcome to. Uh, that, that does not mean I'm saying go and buy Monero. Please don't buy Monero unless you have a specific <laughs> need for it and unless you've gone and done some research and you know exactly what you're doing. And uh, I don't know. Follow me on Twitter at Fluffy Pony. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Austin, you can follow him at Twitter uh, at uh, One Way Function. That's his Twitter username. And uh, you can follow me. You could follow him. Yep. Yeah. Huh? Did we lose him? <laughs> I think so. Oh no! <laughs> That's not the ideal place oh, to lose him. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I think he's in control of uh, 
making us not live anymore. So this will be fun to see how long it takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he was piggybacking on a, a cell connection. Oh man. Um, yeah, we might have to wait till the wind blows. <laughs> All right. Oh, there we go. He's back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Like, 